0: We continue a sermon series we started last week uh, that we're changed, that we have a change of thinking, um, that our our thinking is no longer modeled by what the world thinks, right? We, we talk about how God then has, has set us apart and we begin to, to put aside the, the selfishness that we find within the world, the focus on ourselves and and then we begin to focus on others you know in 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 our we we put aside perhaps those things that we reference as as sin in order to live a different life and and when we think of the the whole body of believers the, the way they live a a changed life is by being united together we said what the divided world needs is a united church. And this week, we we move to how Christ changes what we see and in how we see. We likely all see things a little bit differently. The, the journey of our life takes us to different places. We... We likely have not had all the same experiences. We haven't walked through all the same things together. So we, we see the world through a specific set of lenses, right? Some of us more literally than others, right? Uh, we, we see the world through, through these different set of lenses because our, our journeys are not always the same. Some journeys from the outside looking in, somehow seem like those journeys have been so easy with minimal trouble. Other journeys don't seem to be that way. It, it, they, they seem to require more, more patience. They seem to go through more hardship and more difficulty. They seem to somehow need more and more endurance. And at some point in time, we hope that when we get to that end of that journey, that we will have lived a a good life, that that all will be well, and that it would be, frankly, worth it, so to speak. Let's think about journeys a little bit differently. I want to think about hiking. Any Any of you ever walked a trail or went on a hike? That's where you walk in the woods, or on a path that could be crushed gravel, it could just be dirt, and you're looking for way markers, and you're going to get to a certain place. When I started hiking, one of my favorite books, and it actually got me into hiking, was this book called A Walk in the Woods by, by Bill Bryson. Have any of you ever heard of this book? I see some nodding heads. It this is a book that I, I love to read because it was about a subject I was interested in. And apparently they made it into a movie of which I've not seen because I've always heard the books are always better than the movies. So I'm not going to, I don't want it to ruin the book for me. But but Bill Bryson wanted to go on this this journey through the Appalachian Trail, and, and he decided to to bring along a friend, uh, a friend, his last name was Katz, and so... So Bryson and Katz want to go on this journey hiking the Appalachian Trail, 2,190-plus miles, beginning down in Georgia and heading all the way up to Maine. Needless to say, their journey does not go as they had expected. Oftentimes we think of a certain way that the journey will be and and they encounter things that are more difficult and they encounter significantly boring parts of the hike. They realize that they were not in shape as well as they thought they were, so they begin throwing things out of their bags, including coffee filters, paper coffee filters, which they said fluttered in the air and they were beautiful to watch fall down. They later regretted that when they wanted to drink coffee. The journey did not go as they expected, and they didn't actually even finish the journey. They they gave up after a section called the Hundred Mile Wilderness. They were hoping the journey would be worth it, but it perhaps wasn't worth it in the sense that they were hoping. What does is, what is hope and, and what does our hope for the end of the journey look like? Often we, we, we marry hope and faith. Hope and faith is what changes our sight in how we see the world. So let's take a moment and think about hope and faith by heading to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at just two verses, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, in assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for we're gonna we're gonna stop right there. True faith the the combination of these two things that we read in Hebrews confidence and insurance, two things tied together to create that true and that lasting faith. A teaching tool that we use here in our denomination has something else to say about faith. The teaching tool is called the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks this question, what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true, right, confidence, it is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. You can see the, the themes of, of the Heidelberg Catechism, this teaching tool in, in this passage, woven together, confidence in faith, a knowledge and conviction and an assurance, bound together. If we thought about what true faith is, you would have to have both of them. You would have to have a knowledge of of what God has revealed in his word. And and we actually believe that God not only speaks through the revelation of his world, but he speaks through the revelation of his his word, but also the revelation of his world. And I'm tripping up here a little bit. That marriage of understanding of world and word, along with the assurance that the Holy Spirit provides through us in Christ. Two elements, you could say, in faith. You could think about it another way. Similarly, has anyone heard of this stuff called H2O? Water. Right, there's two elements... There's technically two of one of them. I know that. Okay. Uh, There's two elements that are in it. You have hydrogen and you have oxygen. If you only have hydrogen, do you have water? No, you got something that's likely pretty flammable. Am I correct on that? Yeah, right? If you only have oxygen, well, you could breathe pretty good, but it isn't going to be refreshing to drink, is it? We need both of them to have that thing that is truly refreshing for our bodies and in the same way we need both that knowledge and that confidence in God's word and world along with that assurance to have a refreshing faith. Now if now if, what if we only have one and not The other? What if if we have an emphasis on assurance or an emphasis on the knowledge and and don't have a true faith? What what does that do in our life? Well, the catechism, this teaching tool, continues on. If, If faith becomes intellectually lopsided, it says, it becomes an arid scholasticism or a dead. Orthodoxy. If we think about a focus on knowledge, what you end up with is you just end up with a textbook that you need to look in it to find the wisdom and the knowledge and, and there is not a heart knowledge, a heart assurance that comes with it. You essentially are just having an intellectual pursuit. Not a, not a trust and assurance in who God is. On on the other side, though, the the catechism says that it would just end up with an emotional pietism. Right? Just a a going through the motions of everything perhaps is spiritual. You know, I I wonder if, if we're honest with ourselves, if we've seen people kind of in both of these camps over the last year and a half. People who are more trusting in the word and the world that God has revealed to them without the assurance of his protection. And others who are focusing more on the assurance of God's protection without what he's given us through revelation, the word and his world. Has anyone heard someone say, just trust the science? No one. No one's heard that? Okay, thank you very much. All right. Has anyone heard, we just need to, to trust in God and his protection? The thing is, these are not two opposing pieces when we think about True faith, because true faith is a knowledge of what God has revealed in His Scripture as well as what He has revealed in His world, along with the assurance of who God is and what He is trying to do in our lives. It's not a blind faith we could argue that individuals who have said we need to just to trust the science or we just need to trust in God's perspective or protection are overemphasizing one portion of faith over the other one emphasizing what they have received assurance by the spirit saying god will protect us emphasizing what they know to be true about God and what He has done, perhaps in their life, that God has a continued care for His people. While others perhaps have this overemphasis on what God has been revealing to us through scientific discovery, what He has been revealing to us in His world. But the thing is, faith calls us to do both. True faith is both a knowledge and an assurance. True faith, we are called to to change our sight, to to use what God has shown us in his word and in his world and live accordingly with the assurance that he will truly bring about what he has said. And this type of faith is not easy. It's not something that just comes easy. Author Lee Strobel writes this in his book, The Case for Faith. Faith isn't always easy, even for people who desperately want it. Some people hunger for spiritual certainty, and yet something hinders them from experiencing it. They wish they could taste freedom, but obstacles block their path. Objections pester them. Doubt mocks them. Their heart wants to soar to God, but their intellect keeps them securely tied down. If we consider faith and and move away from the concept of the pandemic, I consider and wonder how it is that lifelong faithful followers of Jesus continued to be plagued with these questions of assurance, questions that, that chip away at their very soul during the course of their journey. I recall meeting with, with one, of our, one of our members who passed away in, in the last year, and, and this member lived a faithful and God-honoring life, putting Christ and who Christ is at the center of the way that they lived. He was concerned with the spiritual well-being that was not only passed to his children, but then would be passed on to others, his his grandchildren. Yet, as I was on the, the phone with him, when he was close to the end of his time, And he seemed to realize it. He said, Pastor Steve, I wonder if I did enough. As I think back on my life, he said, I I know there's things that I should have done differently. I wonder if if I lived the right way. Questions like that of people who have lived faithful lives just make me want to weep. We, we should remember that the assurance that God gives us, the, the, the faith that He gives us to His Word and His world and the assurance through the Spirit is not something that just arises out of what we do. In fact, the, the faith that we have is arising nothing about who we are and what we have done. In fact, the faith that we have is something that God even just gives to us. Here these words from Ephesians chapter 2. These first words are, are maybe familiar. For it is by grace that you have been saved. You did it. Earn it. It was something that was given to you through faith. And this, this faith is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is God's gift that we would have this faith in Him that encompasses His Word and His world in the assurance of Christ provided by the Spirit. We don't have to take direction from the song that says you got to have faith, right? There's no way to, to just get more of it from your. Instead, it's something that God bestows within you, that assurance and trust in him that what he has said in his world and in his word will come to path. It is by grace you have been saved, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. We're not the originators of that faith. We don't conjure some faith within our own life. It doesn't happen or develop by praying unceasingly or reading your Bible continuously, though that might be the fruit of that faith in your life. God gives us that illumination, that understanding in our hearts. It's that heart knowledge and that head knowledge married together. This type of faith causes us to have that assurance of hope, that the future blessings that Christ will bestow upon us will come true, that we will truly feast in the house of Zion, that all those things that we experienced in the world, those those doubts, those hurts, those difficulties will pass away. faith, true faith, that knowledge and assurance undergirds our hope, that God is in control no matter how out of control the world seems, that faith that we receive is a a. Definite demonstration of the substantial reality of the events yet disclosed, undisclosed and in unseen. Those things that we don't quite see yet, that we don't quite comprehend, that we don't quite know how they will come to pass, and yet we can still have hope in who God is and what He will do. The only way to have this this type of faith and and this type of hope is to have a direct and personal encounter with the living God. The the only way to have this type of of faith and, and type of hope is to fully rest in who God is and what He has done, to recognize that we are not our own, but we have been bought by Jesus Christ, our faithful Savior. When we believe in Jesus, we're imparted with that true faith, that true hope that the Spirit brings within us that's more than just sheer optimism about life. And there's people in God's Word that were commended for this type of faith. If you would go on to to read further in Hebrews chapter 11, we would read about Certain folks, Abel and Enoch and and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Isaac and Moses and, and all of the Israelites and actually in Rahab. People who demonstrated this faith, this combination of knowledge and assurance in who God is and what he's about to do. Maybe we could touch on one of the less-known ones, Enoch. Enoch, in uh, Genesis 5.24, we we read this, Enoch walked faithfully to God, with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Not a lot to go on there, is it? In Hebrews, we, we add, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had, had taken him away. For before he was taken away, he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. We think about Enoch as as someone who pleased God, something that's, that's a powerful thing to say about an individual, that they... Pleased God. but I think there's something in here. If he's commended as one who pleased God, he did it by faith. Without that faith that was bestowed upon him, that that living out of what God had done in, in knowledge and perhaps assurance of his life, then he wouldn't have been one who had pleased God. There had to be a a moment where he was following in what God had told him to do through his word and through his world. Assurance that what God said in his life would happen would truly come to pass if he walked in it. It's only something that comes back comes from God. That first step of faith comes from God. He's the first actor in this, and and we're just following along after. Responding to what he has done. That's what Enoch had to do. Respond to what God had done in his life and where he was calling. Changing his sight and his vision for for how to, to live. That he could have confidence in in where God was was calling him to go that he could have this abundant trust in who God was and and therefore he would 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 be able to please God by the the way he lived that's that faith that hope for the future that goes beyond any difficulty or circumstance or or thing that we would encounter over the course of this journey, causing us to live more and more and exalt him further, even in hard times. In fifteen twenty-seven, we're gonna go back a ways. There's this guy named Martin Luther. He's he's often credited as the person who began the the Reformation, the hope of reforming the Catholic Church, what developed into the Protestant churches. In in the summer of 1527, a plague was sweeping through Europe. And and this time, it fell upon a, a deeply divided society, polarized, we would say. It was polarized by the events of this Protestant Reformation, On top of that, the the fears of the people, the fear of of death and social breakdown, the fear of the the perceptions of that disease were filtered through new layers of mistrust rooted in the religious difference experienced in that day. The Protestants regarded the plague as God's judgment on, on the Catholic Church for their decadence and their idolatry. The Catholics accused Protestants of weakening the unity of Christi- Christendom in, in the time of some crisis. And both sides gleefully seized examples of co- uh, cowardice in others' missteps to paint their enemies in the worst possible light. I'd like to say I didn't write any all of that. Actually, that's, that's a historian. If you'd like to get it, uh, to know where it's from. Come see me later. And in the midst of this environment, Martin Luther wrote what he thought it meant to be a Christian in this environment, having faith in God with with the knowledge and understanding of God's word and his world, but also having the assurance of who Christ is. And perhaps you've seen it. It says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, I shall help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid persons and places where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated. And thus infect and pollute others. And so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he surely will find me. And if I have done what he expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will willingly go freely. See, this is such a God-fearing faith, because it's neither brash nor foolhardy, and it does not tempt God. In that time and place which people often try to equate to today, that's the way that that Martin Luther thought that he would live out his faith well, a true faith, recognizing we need to trust in God's protection. We need to trust in who he is, that he loves us deeply, and that he he wants to see us live well, that he wants to see all sickness on earth be gone, and, and that's what he's promised in the person of Christ as if we believe in him, that will happen one day we will we will come to an earth and we will experience it renewed where there is no death or disease or, or discomfort because the Lord's presence is there. We're to have that level of assurance. But that assurance doesn't come without His Word and His world and, and what He has taught us, and, and therefore, we, we live in a way acknowledging what He has taught us and what He is showing us here, too, in this world, a marriage of heart and head, knowledge, and this type of deep-rooted faith in our lives, when, when we truly experience it, it, it drains away that, that guilt of past misdeeds like we thought of with with that older member of our congregation, those misdeeds that have oppressed us and, and reminded us of that old life. This type of true faith replaces our lack of courage with a dedication and boldness that we didn't have before. This type of true faith infuses our life with new and reinvigorated direction and purpose in glorifying God and who He is. This type of true faith unlocks those doors to heaven with the keys that Christ is holding. This type of true faith is that cool water, that H2O that is for our parched and weary soul. This true faith breaks through the dimly lit spaces with the piercing light of who Christ is true faith, true faith within you, true faith within me, confidence in what we hope for, and assurance in the things that we do not see. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your spirit in our lives would cause us to have true faith. Faith that encompasses that head knowledge along with that heart knowledge. True faith that has has confidence in what we hope to see happen and in what we, we know to be true in your world and your word. And we pray that we would have an abundance of assurance as we go through this journey in the things that we do not see that will come our way and attempt to trip us up. Work in us your gift of grace and your gift of faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.